Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Yes, indeed, I chose to be a diva this evening. Indeed, I did. Um, sometimes I like to be in the room welcoming people who are coming. I didn't know if anyone was going to be here, so I'm thrilled that we have a few of you with us. Thank you for joining us, and um, thank you to our guests who will be on in just a second. But even, you see, if I was coming on to an empty room, I think it's best when you come on as if it is Wembley Arena. You know? I do always tell people that my theory of excellence is that excellence begins with delusion. And that is the only thing that will get you all the way to the excellence at the end. So thank you very much for humoring me. I am Vanity Von Glow, internationally ignored superstar. Um, and I consider myself to be the thing that would arrive if you tried to order Celine Dion online. <laughs> you know? Because we all know how it is, like things come and they're not quite as good as um, we hoped they were. For example, this dress I'm wearing right now, this was a success from the internet. But if you come on any other day to this show, I ordered it in other colors. And that's where they fucking get you, right? <laughs> the other colors are in totally different fabrics. One of them looks like the exact color of green that you would see on a green screen. So I will probably, I could potentially disappear during the course of this run into some fantastical digital realm. Um, so I'm not alone for uh, this podcast recording. I have a podcast called The Vanity Project, and we're doing a live version of it here. I find that in the podcast episodes that I've recorded before, We've had guests like Lorraine Kelly and uh, Don Butler, the Labour MP, and Jess Phillips. And I find that the conversation becomes very intimate because there's something very intimate about it just being you and one other person talking to each other over laptop screens. It will remind you, perhaps, of the, the CAM four days, okay? <laughs> it, not everyone would, would remember the CAM four days. Some people go all the way back to MSN when you had to write messages to one another. 
those were old times. So it can get, it, and there's a weight to those intimate conversations. And I thought it would be so lovely to come and interview some comedians here in Edinburgh and some people that are performing and doing all sorts of things at the Fringe. And when there's an audience, it will be great because that will bring out something different from the conversation. So that's what we're going to be doing today. I am Vanity, the host of The Vanity Project. And who are my guests? I hear you ask. Well, Today we have two fabulous artists who are performing around here, so if you enjoy their shows, you can definitely, uh, if you enjoy them today, you can definitely go and watch them. Um, so without further ado, let's welcome them to the stage. We have the fabulous Tiff Stevenson and the wonderful Alex Roberts. Do come on down. Hello, hello, hello. Now you can, you, I think the best thing is to hold your microphones. Okay, I'm gonna get my iron brew. Yeah, get your iron brew, girl. <laughs> Must be needed. You didn't come all the way to Edinburgh for anything other than Iron Brew. Do you know I've never, is, I've never had an Iron Brew. You've never had one in your entire life, Alex. What does it taste like? Well, we have one right here. <laughs> Tastes like dreams. Actually, this is the sugar-free. Yes, the original recipe uh, is. Okay. Sadly. It's gone, isn't it? Yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, I think that um, I think this was one of our, one of our edicts from on high was that we were going to have less sugar in our sugary drinks. So that meant they had to change the recipe of Iron Brew. So Alex, I'm sorry to tell you, but you'll never really taste Iron Brew now. That's so sad. Yeah. I know. I've really missed out. Really those missed optimistic out. days are behind <laughs> us. <laughs> They're gone. Um, well, thank you both for coming and joining us today. I'm really uh, excited to talk to you. I'm excited to learn about all the shows. We're right at the start of the Fringe here, so I haven't seen your shows yet. Um, but I'm going to make it my mission to go and see the shows of my guests which sound interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> that won't be all of them. It's a good part. It'll, it'll be some of them. Um, disclaimer. So, well, Hard you know, disclaimer. So many hours in a day, and I'm definitely planning on spending some of those. Um, <laughs> cut out of the opportune moment there. <laughs> Nathan, you come and have a little look around here. Many thanks. Many thanks. What was that little connector doing for us? Just giving me a bit, just a little extension while I'm sat down now. So first of all, Tiff Stevenson, you are a veteran Hi. of the Fringe, right? I am this indeed. Is certainly not your first time at the rodeo. Um, no. Veteran does make it sound like I've been in a few wars. So <laughs> I really Well, maybe you have. <laughs> what, what brings you back every year? Because uh, you've been here several times over the course of your career. Yeah, I think the first one I ever, the first ever Fringe was 2006 and um, I ha wasn't doing, I'd just sort of started in stand-up then. Mm. In fact, I'd started the year before, I used to do a character called Savannah Dior Media Hall and it was basically a, a, a woman who was selling her autobiography called Come Inside Myself, I mean, terrible. But Come inside. I want to read that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like p famous people she chagged. That was the act when, and I'd just like read excerpts of the book. She was sort of like a proto wag character, really, mm -hmm. uh, before all of that got so kind of insane uh, with a high court case. I know, very and, topical um, now. I know, and I wish I was desperately disappointed because they all tried to look like Victorian school moms, didn't they? At that to be taken yeah. seriously, I was like, bring back the Von Dutch caps. Yeah. And the hot pants. Yeah, I want the full Tanya Turner experience <laughs> from Footballers Wives, you know what I mean? Yes. Like a pink jumpsuit, top to bottom, like pantsuit, like latex. And oh, well, there's an interesting <coughs> link, uh, Footballers Wives. So because I did this Savannah Dior character, I actually got booked on a show called Footballers Wives TV, which was almost like a spoof, like a daytime TV chat show that was a spoof of Footballers Wives. 
And on that, I played a woman who'd had um, gone to have her breasts enlarged, but ran out of money, so could only get one. Oh. <laughs> Which one? Uh, it was the left one. Okay. Because cool. um, I, I think I said I feel like a right tit. I can't remember. That was one <laughs> of the lines. But uh, yeah, uh, Montana Mounds. That's what she was called. Wow. Montana Mounds. And I turned up, and actually, some of it was quite. Again, this was probably about 2005. And I feel like it was really ahead of its time because it, w- it was pre sort of Kardashians and everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the sketches is me turning up with my face entirely marked up for plastic surgery with the signature of the surgeon on the side. Like, <laughs> I want everyone to know I'm having a Clive Eastwood. Like, it's really fashionable. So that was, that was very silly. So that, w- it was, that was a sort of version of that character. Um, and then I came here for the first time in 2006 and I did the play Talk Radio. And it was the first year of the big upside down purple cow in Bristow Square. And I had a very heartfelt monologue in it every day. And then a samba band would go past outside. Exactly <laughs> the same. So, you know, I've had every I've had every fringe experience. It's kind of hard to be deep in the midst of like doing my American accent, talking about my undying love to hear. Yeah. So. So it sounds like your early fringe experiences were quite, uh, they, they were quite typical fringe experiences. Like there's always this sort of chaos here at the fringe, isn't there? Yes, there is. There's always a disaster. I had someone faint once in a show um, and it was actually, it was, I was doing a routine. I said the word Hitler and this woman slid out of her chair and I was like, is she just bitten on a cyanide capsule? I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Because like, you said the word Hitler. Yes, it was like Goodness. on the word Hitler, but it, it, she'd actually, I think, had like, she'd maybe like had passed out or possibly much more serious. And I had to keep the show going, sort of asking if there was a doctor in the house and, and uh, whilst trying to, um, remembering there's a whole entire audience of people, but going, oh, I seriously hope this woman's okay. Yeah. You know, so. I imagine if somebody asked her what had happened, she'd have told you that it was out of, Mein Kampfert zone. <laughs> yes, yes. Fucking love gags like that. <laughs> <laughs> World War Two pun for everybody there. <laughs> now, Alex, for you, yeah. this is your first fringe. Am I guessing correctly? Yeah, yeah. I came up as a student like yeah. quite a few years ago, and actually to this venue. It used to be, I, th- I think, it used to be zoo venues. Um, and it yeah. used to be a church, Alex. My <laughs> 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 God, not anymore. I would burn up in hell. But um, yeah, but it's the first time bringing my own work here. So um, it's yeah, really exciting. I mean, it's, it's absolutely terrifying, right? The first time out, it's like wild. Yes. It, you, and you, there's no way to prepare. There's uh, a friend of mine, Canadian comic. She's coming doing the Fringe for the first time. And there's no way to just prepare someone for what it's going to be like. Because you'll try, but you're like, you're going to have every emotion here. You really will. In a day right? as In well. In one day. Exactly. Yeah. Every, every bit of weather, every season, and every emotion just in 24 hours at the fridge. Yeah. yeah. I literally said after the show yesterday, I was like, I feel like three emotions are trying to leave my body at <laughs> once. It's, it's intense. Yeah. You've only got two holes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can do a lot with them. How is it going to happen? No, I, I can understand that this is the first time that I'm bringing shows t- here to the fringe, but because I grew up near Edinburgh, I understand what it is. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. used to come here all the time. I'd come in the summer. We could come and watch shows, my friends. And, uh, you know, it's always a nice thing to go with your friends and their parents and stuff. And really, really great. But this is the first time I'm here myself. And my other show, Drag Queen Wine Tasting, wh- you know, uh, is 
very comfortable and is going really, really well. But I'm also like, even yesterday was the first one here and we had a small gathering of people. I, I was crossing my mind that for the podcast listeners, rather than tell them that there's only five people in the room, I'm going to tell them that the, it's a packed audience, but they're all in ball gags. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you can't I hear anything. I love that that's your audience demographic as well. You Bec- really but, you know, I thought we just have to be honest with the podcast. <laughs> because it is part of the Edinburgh experience. You've got to hustle and you'll have quiet days and you'll have busier days, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. yeah it's the first proper, uh, well, the official start, isn't it, today? So there's previews and uh, you always have this, f- I always have this feeling where I sort of had a, have a conversation with my PR and um, you'll know her, but it's just like, babe, get him in as early as you can. And I'm like, yeah, it's not just about me being ready. It's also about going into a venue for the first time and mm-hmm. all the venue staff are, are doing it for the first time and the techs are doing it for the first time and everyone's got mm-hmm. to learn about how to make a show work. So I'm like, it just takes a few days for you all to get to know each other and ease in. And then, you know, great new shows like this, uh, you're doing the podcast for the first time live. It just takes a while for people to find it. And then a couple of people say to a couple of people, mm-hmm. and more than uh, as much as reviews and anything else, it is word of mouth of people going, mm-hmm. this is on. Because it can be overwhelming, right? There's so much to see. Yes. I find, like, as soon as you get off the train, there's a thousand shows all sort of shouting in your face, just in poster form. And then <laughs> that, I, to me, I find that very overwhelming. And then I resent that now I'm also one of them. <laughs> shouting at me, well, come to the show, come to the I show. I you want to start the fly with a sort of an apology being, yes, it's another one. <laughs> another fly you will put in the bin. <laughs> so the shows that you've both got here this year, Alex, you can start by telling us a bit about um, yeah, No sure. Place Like Home, which yeah. I know is exciting to me because it deals with themes of gay nightclubs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Close really is home for me. That's something I'd be yeah, interested to tell. it's sort of show. been... It's, it's sort of like in my brain for like quite a few years. We've been working on it since 2019 and um, it was all sort of inspired by um, why I'd never get hit on in gay clubs. <laughs> no, but seriously. Um, <laughs> and it was this sort of thing of like, when you're a queer person, you're trying to find out who you are and find the places that you belong. These sort of, these sort of environments, the spaces, the first places you go to find your people and um, find your tribe, as it were. Um, and there's this very interesting thing that happens um, when you enter those spaces for the first time. You're simultaneously, well, for me, simultaneously furious that no one is looking at you and at the same time terrified that anyone's looking at you <laughs> <laughs> and this sort of like this sort of like wrestling to like f- try to find your culture find your history and at the same time search for yourself really and so it was sort of born out of that and what it's become is this sort of like tragic odyssey through gay club culture and it fuses loads of different elements that are really sort of like multimedia that really feel like they immerse you in the scene and the environment, the spoken word, music, dance, incredible video projection and a fuckload of Whitney Houston. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. it wouldn't be a gay club, would it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, we won the Les Enfants Terribles Award um, earlier on this year, which is really exciting, which sort of recognises like new upcoming theatre and we're featured as part of Pleasant's future season. So we've sort of hit the ground running, which is really exciting. I just sort of mad, like... I come up here as a student and just sort of think that this this place was sort of amazing and incredible. And then I came up with my dad two years running. <laughs> and it was a very different experience because all we would do is get absolutely wasted for like seven days <laughs> and then like try and sit honestly there was one there was one day I'd been out with my mates probably to like CC Blooms or something until yeah. like three in the morning and um, I wake your up your feet the, uh, stuck to the floor exactly just about to get them <laughs> off the floor and drive the way back and um 
uh, I get up the uh, that that morning, like you know, heads like banging, and my, my dad's just it's gone. I'm going out. Oh, fuck. I mean, he was here. It was him when I got in, and uh, he came, <laughs> I was about to get up and make breakfast, and he comes in the door being like, yeah, so I've been to the Literary Festival, uh, dropped a bomb about half an hour ago, buzzing, absolutely having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I'm going like, that is a vibe, Mike Welsh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, and so it was mostly a blur for the rest of it, but no, it was, it was a really special place to me. I've like, I remember as a, as a kid when I came here with him, I booked my first gig like the first day that we arrived, and we just went, oh, Special, special memories. And then, you know, with all the interruption with COVID, you know, Pandemic Lovato made sure that we weren't here Pandemi the last couple of Lovato. years. <laughs> yes, you know. <laughs> and now we're here and it's sort of like amazing to like, you know, finally be bringing my own stuff up here and stuff that really means the world to me, you know. And it's funny us talking about, you know, shows and, and people in the audiences, there might only be three or four, but it's... It's a really special thing to think that in this city with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Australians and people that even the five people in the audience have chosen yours to see and you just go, you just have to go out there and connect with whoever's there and just hope that it reaches them, I suppose. It is, because two years ago, did we think this was even going to happen again? Mm. I mean, yes. there was so, so much true. uncertainty. So I felt quite emotional, actually, after the first night. I went out with my friend who's in the audience and... Uh, we, we sort of had a toast and we were like, I haven't seen him for two and a half years because he's from New York. And I've, I felt just like very emotional about it all. Like we just didn't even think about it as a possibility, did mm -hmm. we? So so you, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. So that's why it's joyous. So joyous. And it's so I haven't had that back. moment for ages as well either where you're sort of like walking around going like, oh, wow, this is so normal. And then you ping out and go, God, I haven't been here for three years. And that's sort of like that space and all that sort of stuff then comes to the surface and it's always that the first time since the first time since the first time since i haven't had that for like maybe 18 months and like getting off the train here it was like god the first time since that i've been do you Edinburgh. have that fit do you have this when you know when the train pulls into waverley like it's just like a feeling of nauseous yeah. <laughs> like kind of, like it's, it's excitement but you're also like i'm gonna throw up oh. <laughs> you know when you see it i always think of i actually uh, so a lot of my family live in edinburgh or grew up in edinburgh so when we were young we'd come to see our cousins and to me although i think it's such a beautiful city it always has this evening sensibility to it and to me i always feel like while i really love the city i like it to come to for a short space of time there's a wistfulness it feels like, so i actually almost have the opposite it makes uh -huh. me a little like melancholy oh. but then i think that's maybe going to change because i'll you know i'll be <laughs> very jubilant <laughs> over the next few weeks so i'm um, yeah i'm keen to see if this almost replaces a set of lifelong memories with memories from this next month of being here just every single day that's really different. interesting yeah alex where is it that you're based in England? So uh, I'm based in London, in yes. uh, South West London, actually where my parents grew up in Streatham. So I've only just moved oh, yes. there, which is kind of weird and sort of like running around the city now and I feel like the ghosts of them are like running Reefham. around somewhere. Yeah, St. Reefham, yeah, exactly. I was I'm curious because I'm trying to imagine your show and the show is focused on your experience of gay clubs. And I always think that gay clubs are very different where depending on where you are in the UK, you know, if you're in a Sheffield or a Manchester versus if you're in a London. Because what struck me is when you, you, it must be a very honest work, you're talking about your vulnerabilities in those spaces. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, like, for me, going out, the, fir the first 
like nightclub I ever went to was uh, Heaven in Charing Cross, and it's obviously like a legendary sort of place. But it's a very specific example of um, you know a venue that would come under the the umbrella of a queer venue, um, and the demographic there is is very specific, and also it's run by very specific demographics as well. It's a cis white male space, and it does feel like a lot of these chain bars are very homogenized, and it's this thing of where. And we always say this, like identity politics are very important until they're not important. And navigating that space and trying to fit into the various different, you know, labels and all that kind of stuff. And the, the beauty of the word queer that I really, really love and the, the truly, truly queer spaces that I sort of like frequent now as being someone a little bit older um, are the ones that really resist some of those like really, you know, labels that have very sharp edges. Um, and so when I first went there, I was sort of going like, okay, this is, this is the version of me that I need to be. I need to fit in here. I need to look like this. I need to dress this certain way. I mean, the first time I ever went out was ridiculous. I, <laughs> I had a very warped view of what I thought gay men were. And so I, like, I went, to, um, I went to, to Top Man and brought this like horrendous sort of like drop neck sort of like typing, muscle fitting uh, Did you have the heavage out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The on display. Exactly. And I bought this like pleather jacket from River Island and I'd like shaved every inch of my body and then it's like, right, well, I need to beat my arsehole as well to be able to get in here and... <laughs> never, never done that again. <laughs> they don't. Like, so that will be some ask, sort of like criteria. ID. <laughs> your hole is your ID. Exactly. <laughs> being like, hello. Um, and it was just weird of me thinking of all the things that I needed to be and needed to do in there. And it was, it was stressful um, until I got in there and then realised. And I, I think this is the thing about any navigating any of these spaces, and I found ones that I feel a lot more comfortable in now, particularly sort of in East London, like Bethnal Green. There's some brilliant drag queen here called Baby Lame who runs a night called Mimi's. It's just got all the fucking weirdos in it. And I was just like, oh, I need my people. <laughs> this is so nice. But I think that, you know, that they're the hardest thing, and I think that, I think that rings through in the show. There's a, there's a character in it called Connor, who's very much me at 17, sort of like seeing it all. And, you know, it's almost like the, the gates of the Emerald City sort of thing of being mm. like, oh, wow, like we finally arrived. And slowly but surely it dawns on him that actually he's searching for himself in all the wrong places you know you can't find yourself in things that are exterior other than in your own sort of like body and I definitely felt that when I was navigating these spaces as someone who's a bit younger and I think that's always the hardest thing is sort of like separating the expectations that um, cultures and environments put on you and the expectations you put on yourself and I think separating that is the trickiest and most important thing to do, and I think that's what both of the characters in No Place Like Home are definitely trying to grapple with. Not just the characters in your show, but in a seamless segue, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tiff will be able to tell us about her show, Sexy Brain, because you have an understanding of your own thought processes now that's quite new to you, am I right in saying? Yes, um, I guess there's, there's there's a few things going on in the show. I do talk about Turning 40, when I turned 40, I dyed my hair pink, bought a convertible, moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> and um, I think if I was a man, everyone would have gone midlife crisis. <laughs> but they just went, she's having a breakdown. So there's one of the <laughs> first, like, and, and also a crisis suggests a moment that you'll get past. Yes. Like a crisis of confidence. Yeah. It's just a crisis and we move past. But a breakdown is like, well, she's broken. <laughs> she's broken. We don't know what to do with this. Um, so there's a few things going on. I sort of um, self-diagnosed my ADHD during during lockdown, um, and uh, basically 
my brain, I'm kind of pushing back against labels and the idea that I constantly have to qualify anything I say with who I am and my viewpoint. And I, but you know, part sometimes I'll go on Twitter and I'll see so many different things that people put in their biog, and they're mm. all things I sort of agree with. And then I'm like, oh, do you, do you like cheese? I don't know. You've left that off. Like, <laughs> is this is this to bring me closer to being able to connect with you, or is it pushing us further away? So I'm like. Oh, I kind of don't want the, um, as I describe it in the show, ADHD, BT, and if you want to know more, you'll have to come see it. Um, <laughs> but um, so I was like, I'm just like, for example, when, when at school I got accused of daydreaming, I'm like, I don't like that label daydreamer, so I'm going to go with afternoon manifesting because that's actually what I'm doing, right? Um, so, you know, actually at night I get my beauty sleep. That's I'm not doing any manifesting then. I'm just, that's, that's work. So, um, and then I guess so that's why I come up with sexy brain. Also because this dichotomy of like uh, blonde hair, big boobs my whole life, people have been like, men don't look at women with big boobs and go, oh, she looks like she's got great ideas mm. like so so there's that assumption that i am underestimated or i have been because of how i look and then you get a bit older and that's there's a sort of uh, that dissipates a bit because there's an invisibility that sort of you know that sort of happens there so it's all about how you know my brain works my racing brain how it ruins stuff for me how it can be great for comedy and also my mum as well, you know, sort of the generational gap between me and my mum. And I sort of ask, am I becoming her? And I'm trying to, as I've got a bit older, be a bit more forgiving of my parents and particularly mm -hmm. my mum and see her as this whole human being with her own set of dreams and hopes and fears. And can I meet that midway and go, here we can find some common mm -hmm. ground here instead of us arguing, for example... Uh, she rung me about the Wayne Rooney sort of when he was sleeping with a stripper and she was like, do you know uh, Wayne Rooney knew that that stripper was uh, sorry, you know that stripper knew Wayne Rooney was married when she shagged him and I'm like, yeah, Wayne Rooney yeah. knew Wayne Rooney was married yeah. like, so that's <laughs> just how we, we just come at it from different angles um, so yeah, so there's a lot about that there's a lot about like, can we find a way to move forward with you know, the ideas of younger people and the wisdom of older people and, and you know, mm. find common ground. It's interesting you say about um, the expectations that men have on women who they find sort of beautiful or sexually appealing. You know, Joan Rivers said that no one ever asked Pamela Anderson if she had a library card. <laughs> um, right. But I want, I, it makes me think it's n maybe not too dissimilar from the experience um, that Alex is describing being in a gay club because... I find particularly in London, there's a very cruisy aspect to being in a gay club and you're, you're very much being sort of rated on a scale or you feel it's capital. easy to think you yeah. are. Yeah. Um, and I imagine there's some objectification aspect to that, which is probably quite uh, similar to what some women will report experiencing just in the marketplace of life when men are sizing you up, basically. Yeah, you know? I mean, there's a weird thing of, and I had, this was a bit that I had years and years ago and I actually had it in my, 30s because I talked a lot about aging then and now I'm in my 40s I'm like oh girl you've got different ideas yeah. <laughs> because um but I used to have this joke about you know um I've had to start saying to my I've had to start saying to guys you might not talk into my face they're right here and then like sort of pointing out my boobs like a little inverted joke <laughs> and then going I like I'm not saying men don't approach me in bars anymore they do but it's to get around me <laughs> like a, so this guy comes over and goes 
uh, excuse me, and I'm like flicking my hair. I'm like, yeah, and he's like, no, just excuse me. I want to get to the bar. <laughs> right? That was that was actually a place in Soho, and that was a true thing that happened. I was like, oh, I responded like this was a flirt, and then I say, I never thought I'd miss sexism till I got to my late thirties. Yeah. And so there's a really weird thing of like, that it's a real thing you push back against, and there's all this scary thing, and it's horrific until it's from someone that you maybe want it to come from and then also till that so much of your validation and self-worth is wrapped up in this idea that men are finding you you know because i was always like oh, fuck off fuck off but then there's a weird thing of like going oh now but at least there you were getting attention and now there's just this mm -hmm. invisibility and lots of people have been writing about this recently and it sends people absolutely <laughs> sends people mad i think there was that supermodel was it paulina um Paulina something she did a big article about it about getting into her, her late 40s and like she used to walk into a room and all the meds, men's heads would turn and now they just ignore me and people are like oh poor bitch imagine what it's like being ugly your whole life you know people were sort of responding like this but I was like but you know sometimes it just takes people longer to get to that place to realize that's not the true validation yeah. mm. so the same exactly what you're saying as you beautifully put those two things parallel you know the validation is not about is it men in the in the club kind of going do i want him it's about do, do you want you <laughs> exactly but i think that's it and the, the the call in you know in the work and the thing that i hope that really really connects with it is that it's it's a real fucking journey to be able to and i think there's a sort of theme that's coming out of this is with acceptance of like of of who you are and, and where you are and, and what that is because you know, sexual capital in particularly gay male-dominated spaces is you, you feel it when you walk into a room and it's normally the, you know, it's the images that are circulated through the sort of, you know, very recent gay uh, culture through the media, the bodies that populate those stories and the images in a very basic sense. There's, there's a bit in the show which is about um, a night <laughs> one of the gay clubs in London hosts, um, which is uh, called uh, Porn Idol. And it's this, this vibe of like these queens that you've been on stage, like rating people out of 10. And it, it does have a lot of humour and, and a lot of sort of um, sparking wit to it, but as well. Well, but they I get naked, you forgot to tell everyone. Yes, <laughs> sorry, it's a stripping competition. <laughs> it is which a is stripping like, competition. And th that's the thing, that, that there's versions of that which are incredibly empowering, and I've been to strip clubs, or I've been to places that are queer run that feel very, very, very empowering and celebrating bodies, but that, you know, there's this, there's this vibe of it which is like, you know, in some way quantifying like someone's sexual capital and not a celebration of all these bodies, and that's you know that's the dream about these spaces, and it is the sort of dream, and always the reality of like all the beautiful letters that make up this sort of like queer acronym. You know, when they're put side by side, they are going to cause friction sometimes together. It's not this sort of like place where suddenly all these identities are just going to be like, well, we're having a party, it's all fun, here we go. Sometimes there are nuanced sort of differences between these varied communities, um, and for me, I've always felt like going into those spaces, and I've always felt that you know someone who doesn't always fit into these you know sorts of bits and bobs that yeah it's important to talk about it it's important to talk about it and see it you said a thing which really made me laugh when you said well it, not that thing made me laugh but <laughs> a, a laugh popped up in my head because you went wanting to be seen but not wanting to be seen and i instantly went to the uh, francis ford coppola dracula uh -huh. <laughs> where he goes see me now do not see me now <laughs> <laughs> yes 
And I just, that just That's immediately it. popped into my yeah. head when you were like, no, I want to be seen like this. He doesn't want to be seen as yeah. Dracula. He wants to be seen as the dandy young prince with his curls. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, Mina, see me now. Oh, actually, no, he's a giant bat, I think, <laughs> banging her friend. And that's when he doesn't want her to see him. Yeah. yeah. I feel, I literally have that experience, f- like, frequently, almost every day. So um, our producer who's sitting at the back, Nathan, knows that, um, you know, I do shows all the time, literally five or six a week, and I never want to be seen before the show mm. in any state of, like, uh, recognizability. Mm. So if I'm arriving to a venue... And I have no insecurities about how I look, either in performance mode or out of performance mode. But I'm not showing up in a baseball cap with a face of makeup in the like goblin interim space. <laughs> and I, I, which so many queens I know will, you know, like half my friends, they'll all just wander in, they'll have a drink, they'll chat to people, and then they'll go backstage, they'll put their dress and their wig on. And I'm like, nope. I, I'm quite particular about like, mm. if I'm going to be received in the capacity that I'm performing, they shouldn't see me before the show. Right. Or if I'm going to be out in life just having fun as myself, then I'm going to be quite distinct and different from, mm. from the way that I look as, as, a, as an artist. Um, because we can be choosy, right? About it's, Some people have this about not wanting to be seen in their casual wear. Mm. You know, some people, oh, no, I look a mess. I'm like, I, don't mind be, I don't mind looking a mess. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people are like, no, if I haven't, taking the time to moisturize and do all the rest. I once forgot my makeup for a show and <laughs> I it was horrific. I was like, they're not going to see my eyes. They're not going to see my face. You know, just that thing of like b- people reading you at the back yeah. of the room. And it was, it was sort of, but I felt so out of my comfort zone. And like, I'll go out without my makeup on, but on stage, I've got to have my mascara. I've got to have yeah. my, this is show ready because mm-hmm. I'm going, you've made an effort. Well, yeah. I mean, wow. uh, <laughs> no, I was joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But you know, you get the audience have come out. They've made an effort. So you're like, I've got to at least meet that or exceed that if I'm going out to, yeah, you yeah. know. So, so I, I feel like I wouldn't. I've always worn the clothes I like on stage. And there was, I remember one year coming here and someone going, what's with all this like female comics wearing dresses now? Because there was this uh, uniform of like Converse jeans and jeans and, a, yeah. and everything. Yeah, and I was like, I've always worn whatever the fuck I like. No uh, one said to me, you're allowed to wear a dress. I was like, if the weather, the other day I wore shorts for my show. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I'm in shorts. I'm wearing the, these, the, you know, but I've dressed them up. I look nice. So I just, but there is a, there is a distinct, I wouldn't go on without my face. Mm. Would you not go on without having done your hair or well, something? It's, it's interesting. Like, you know, that's the thing at the fringe is that there's there's very little separation between you and the audience. Especially <laughs> yeah. when you're sort of like going in and out, being like, well, we, can we do the get in? Yeah, are we ready? Are we ready? And I, I yeah, there's definitely, you know, because this is a piece of theatre that I'm working on, there's something about wanting the first image that they see to be something that's in that sort of reality that you're going to invoke or create for mm-hmm. them. Um, and I always, yeah, I like making an entrance as well. I had a question I wanted to ask you, Vanity, about you as a, as a drag performer as well. Do you feel that there's a big separation between who you are on stage and who you are in, in real life? Because, I mean, it's, a, it's become a bit of a cliche now, but, you know, you know, what RuPaul says is always that, you know, drag, I've done a, dabbled a bit in that as well. Drag doesn't um, hide who you are, reveals who you are. And so do you, do you feel that there's a big difference between the, I per- think the permission you give yourself on stage as opposed to the permission you give yourself in real life? Well, I think that... Um, that's a very good question. I think that I see identity to be a negotiation mm. b- 
between parties. So I think while I, I respect people's desire to identify themselves as something, yeah. we know there's limits to that because if someone identifies as a brain surgeon, I'm not going to let them operate on me, right? <laughs> we need to negotiate the credibility of that claim. So for me, if I'm going to be performing with the type of humor that I like, which is quite sort of hierarchical, I talk down to audiences. <laughs> um, they, when I started, I've been performing for like 15 years, you know, and I was... 18, 19, mm. that type of humor just doesn't work for an 18-year-old boy to come out and talk to an audience of adults like mm. that. But when you adopt all of the signifiers of a diva, big mm. hair, a gown, the sequin, and you start to embody that, well, now it's a more credible position to, to create that persona from. So I don't know that, it's that I'm expressing um, an aspect of myself as mm. such, but it's that there's a style that I understand yeah. and I know how to do it. Yeah. I think that's more what it is. Um, I always think that what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm like James Bond. So if I die, you could just cast another actor to play this part. <laughs> like the, there's, the, there's concepts in the persona that are quite consistent. So you could actually get someone that goes, oh, I could do a Vanity Von Glow, sure. And then they'll put on a Mrs. Doubtfire voice and then come out and, <laughs> come out and do this. But also uh, you've got pipes. Yeah. So they'd have to have That's the pipes true. to match. That, well, indeed, I suppose the diva thing wouldn't always work if I couldn't sing. Um, but then it works fine for Jennifer Lopez, so <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. You know, or a dancer, whatever. whatever I knew it someone is. would drop in the married name. <laughs> I knew that would happen. Oh, it, that's right, isn't it? She's oh, um, she's a otherworldly alien because she just looks so incredible, oh, right? She's like stunning, isn't it insane how she just seems to be reverse aging? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She looks sort of witchcraft, and I love that her beauty. Jennifer Lopez's beauty is sort of of the divine. So if you looked at the Super Bowl when she performed with Shakira, Jennifer Lopez is, she looks not particularly accessible for men. She's kind of, the hair is too big, the contour is too strong, the sequence. She's trying to look bigger than a girl in a way. And Shakira, on the other hand, has virtually no makeup and is just as gorgeous and sexy, but it's for a totally different reason. There, she has this almost like she crawled out of a bush kind of look. <laughs> You know, and her she wolf era. She yeah, did a she wolf song. And you know, she she looks like she's been for a run, and now she's having a pint, and she's just got this like vitality. Jennifer Lopez is the untouchable. You know, the Helen of Troy. Yeah, well, she's got all her. I like that she uh, travels with her hair, because I'm like, oh, the hair's different. As someone who has <laughs> fine hair, a lot of the time I'm like, God, it will take three hours to just <laughs> try and get this into something good, or can I just put this half a half a set of clip-ins in and try and make she, it work. She had a movie recently, which I saw because I love her. And um, <laughs> it's called Marry Me. And she plays basically herself. She plays a pop star. And in there's a scene where she's taking off her makeup and taking out her hair pieces, you know, to show that now she's come off stage and now she's going to have a cry or whatever. And she takes out like one clip-in hair piece. And then she's like, right, that's me. I'm like, one! <laughs> we know full well that Jennifer Lopez has like, a wig, first of all, <laughs> but also 30, like one, come on now, just not believable, not believable at all. Um, so um, are there, uh, you're both working in an area where there's a lot of laughter, obviously comedy, and I know that your show touches on other feelings too, because it does say that we will laugh, cry, and dance yeah. at your show. Um, which of those is your favorite feeling, could I ask? Ooh. Gosh, I don't know. I I always love making people laugh in mm. terms of like there is a sort of there's that instant 
feedback, which is just like unbelievably joyful. And it was it was just a technique that I used a lot at school. I would just like for me it would be like I'd start to do like impersonations or I'd you know start to never to the teachers' faces because I was always fucking <laughs> worse. But I'd, I was like oh I'd like you know do impressions of my teachers or whatever and try to make people laugh in order to make myself sort of feel. I don't know, um, acceptable um, or palatable in some way, and probably, if anything, just to be to be liked, and I could be entertaining in some way, and sort of like hide the fact the way that I'm very gay. Um, but as I'm sort of like moving through it, my, my favourite parts in the show are sort of the the poetry, which feels. I mean, poetry so much can be very, very, very. Up its own ass. <laughs> I have never been a, a massive fan of the sort of like spoken word scene, but it, it's, sort of, it's, it's almost sort of incidental that the words in the text sort of like rhyme because the vibe of it is very that it's just supposed to be spoken. And I always say when I'm trying to do it, you should be able to say it anyway. You should be able to say it across the table to someone in a pub or, you know, it's always a conversation. It should never be like someone in their own world and thinking about how... You know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like doing um, that sort of thing. And so now the, my favourite parts of the show are the more sort of sincere bits because they're the, the most truthfully honest bits about um, just the experiences that I've had navigating, like, the, the sort of, like, queer scene and the, and the gay spaces and the... The, the truths and realities that I've come up against sort of like making the show specifically about and particularly through the lens of being a cis white queer person like understanding that you can be subject to a lot of oppression and that's really important and to you know just see yourself as a victim can also be quite troubling as well but the difficulty is is that particular identities also can be perpetrators of that violence as well and you can do you can do and replicate some of the stuff that have been done to you and I think there's something really I hope you know important that the show tries to do to break down these sort of like again labels of being either this or that or you're either this type of gay or that type of gay you're either a victim or a perpetrator you can be both you can be both at the same time and I think that's the beauty of um, this BDSM. Right oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be the slave and the master. Um, yeah, you, you can be both. And I think that's what's beautiful and why I really identify with the word queer is that um, it's possible to hold two truths in your head at once and those to live side by side each other. Um, so, yes, the serious bits I love. But well, no, you'll laugh a lot it's, as well. It's interesting. And Tiff, in your shows, I know that they've been, well, this show's presumably fairly personal because you're talking about your neurodiversity or is that the phrase have you choose um but are you happiest making people laugh or do you enjoy some of those contemplative moments um i've always tried to i think very early on in my stand-up sort of career i was like i know i can make people once you get past a certain point and you get good enough you're like i know i can make people laugh mm. um so what i want to do is i want to make them laugh i want to give them a different perspective maybe make them think but laugh first laugh is always mm. at the front but can they go away going, oh, I never, you know, I remember once early doors, like um, being at the uh, Up the Creek Comedy Club mm -hmm. and I'd done something about, I had this joke about, um, about uh, compliments, how you can compliment someone. Of course you still can and, you know, but just if it's shouted out of a car or from the top <laughs> of a building, like if the Doppler effect applies, like, nice to, you know. <laughs> that's a different right so this guy come over and he was just this beefy like 
East End of London bloke. He was in his like, late 40s. He grabbed my cheek and he went, I love that girl. Just if I hadn't thought about yeah. it like that before, I loved it, you know. I just grabbed my book, was like in a, in a really lovely, beautiful way. And I was like, oh, that cut through to him. So that's sometimes you're reaching people that you don't realise that you're, you know, that you're going to. So I think, I think, yes, there's definitely bits where I'm more contemplative or maybe looking at exposing my own flaws and who I am and why I am the way I am. But I do, you know, there were, there's, there's definitely one slightly emotional moment in this show, but it's not a thing that I like to, because it is comedy, it's not a thing that I like to force. Mm. You know, years and years ago, I did a show about sort of depression and suicidal ideation and stuff like that, which was quite, you know, mm. and it was funny, but there was, I f the year I did it, like, I found it to be quite, hard to go through that on stage every night because you're reliving mm -hmm. it as well so i think there's a there's a there's a, a line there i suppose between having this thing that's real and this thing that people connect to and then how much of yourself you're willing to reveal and should be and always keeping that for me on the side of it being funny first but all of these other things are there if you wish to grab at them from yep. the show you know well for our listeners at home and for those of you here today, you have the opportunity throughout the whole month of August to go and see both of these shows. So Alex's No Place Like Home is on at 2.55 every day and Tiff Stevenson's is later on The Sexy Brain is at 8 p.m. So you could actually go and see both. Yes! You wouldn't be <laughs> conflicted on one particular day. So thanks to everyone in the audience for coming to The Vanity Project today and to our listeners at home. Don't forget to subscribe and share. And thank you so much to my fabulous guests. Thank you for coming on. Thanks thank you so much. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.